Today, we're talking about the intricacies behind opening up a first-of-its-kind restaurant, how to convert your passion into a profit, what goes into making a documentary, and the very green world of raw veganism. Welcome to episode 14 with the founder of I Like It Raw, Dana Giesbrecht. You are listening to Len Jones, Party of Two where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian at TrueFace.ai. Now, pay close attention, because you're going to learn today. Hello, party people, and welcome to episode 14 of the Len Jones Party of Two podcast. And to kick off this episode, I have a challenge for you. The next time someone asks, how are you? I want you to make a habit of saying, living the dream. There is a lot to be thankful for, and training your mind to feel gratitude is proven to lead to a happier and healthier life. On the flip side, I have found that no matter how positive you are, it can be pretty challenging to create a lifestyle of consistent happiness when your body isn't functioning properly and you're clouded by navigating the complexities of maintaining proper nutrition. And to get personal with it, I've had pretty awful digestive issues the past 18 months and honestly, nothing seems to be working. The more I read and talk to experts on the subject of health and wellness, the common unmistakable trend I see is that we are what we eat. So with options running out, I've recently become open-minded to a new way of eating food, which is known as a raw vegan diet. And if you're new to the podcast, our mission here is twofold, to educate millennials by dissecting the come-up stories of incredible humans, by extracting the golden nuggets that you can apply now to better your life. And second, to have all my friends in life that are making moves to meet my other friends in life that are making moves to create one giant community of extraordinary people. Now, I am a total noob on the subject of raw veganism, but living in this glorious age of YouTube where you can literally look up step-by-step instructions on how to do just about anything in the world, I came across a documentary labeled I Like It Raw, which I found out was created and produced by Dana Giesbrecht. I was so interested by what Dana had to say that I checked out her website, ilikeitraw.com, and realized I had come across a young entrepreneur who's created an incredible lifestyle by turning her passion into a profit. Dana is the founder of the I Like It Raw documentary the I Like It Raw food program, and soon to be the owner of the first ever I Like It Raw restaurant in Winnipeg, Canada. With the release of her Kickstarter video, Dana is raising funds to start a chain of fast food raw vegan restaurants, and I have no doubt that she will do just that. In this podcast, she goes into great detail on the step-by-step processes of how she sets up a business that pays her residual income, directed and produced a documentary with little help, lessons she learned regarding PR and marketing, and how you can go out there today and turn your hobby into an online business. Dana's energy is contagious and extremely empowering. So if you know anyone that could use that extra kick in the butt to go out and make moves on their goals and dreams, then you owe it to share this episode with them. Now, without further ado, grab some celery and let's jump into it. We are here with Dana Giesbrecht. Did I say that right? You said it right. I enjoy the extra hard T on the end. Uh, but I've heard every variation, so good job. AKA the Raw Vegan Mermaid. Where did that come from? So the nickname The Raw Mermaid came about when I was doing my documentary on raw veganism. And I've always had really long, thick, blonde hair. And I had some friends who had nicknamed me Mermaid for years. So I just kind of incorporated it with raw veganism and hence... The raw mermaid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you're you're busy. You have a very um, 
amazing list of accomplishments. I mean, I first I first came across you because I personally have been dipping my toes into this idea of raw vegan world. Just to be clear, I am very much not close to like completely figuring it out, but I'm hoping that this talk with you gets me closer. Um, but I came across your documentary on YouTube and I was like, wow, this is like a phenomenally made documentary. Like, is this on Netflix? Like, it, is it on Netflix? No. Uh, when I produced I Like It Raw, I was working full time for a TV station in Canada um, and it was a side project of mine. So I was hosting their daily show out in the community from different festivals and fundraisers and events Monday through Friday and spent my spare time over about a year working on this documentary. So when we released the documentary, uh, because I was a full-time employee, they had first rights to it. So it aired across Canada on a bunch of TV stations and I was allowed to put it on YouTube, but it, that's kind of where it stopped. So it didn't do the whole festival run and, and I wasn't able to take it and, and sell it to a platform like netflix gotcha it lives on youtube for anyone to see for free at any point yeah it's it's wonderful just to circle back so did you go to college i did yeah i actually went to college for broadcast journalism public relations advertising and pr did you know from the beginning you're like i want to be on the news like did you just since you were young um no i was always uh, a big nerd and loved books and writing and I uh, saw myself being a novelist and and I think at some point I thought that a stepping stone from being someone who didn't have a name in writing to getting their first book out there was going to be journalism. So I went to school for journalism and just kind of had always been a big movie buff as well and incorporated my love of movies with my love of writing and I suppose at some points I realized I had a bit of a knack for being in front of the camera and it just kind of all worked out. Did you like find immediate success upon leaving college with getting a good job? Would you have to bounce around or would that look like? I was really, really lucky. Um, I was the youngest person in my broadcast journalism program. And when I graduated, I got a job offer right out of school when I was 20 to be the face and host and producer of a national outdoor adventure show in Canada. How did you get discovered? How did that transpire? So the way that I got discovered was we were having our um, graduation ceremony with all uh, this huge event with all these different media organizations in the city and different hosts and producers and station managers. And I had my DVD of my demo reel and I was just like shaking hands and passing out DVDs and like trying to network. And, um, I shook hands with a, a man named Alan Sag who was running a local TV station in Winnipeg. And he was like, oh, I really like this girl. And called me the next day. And he's like, we don't have a position available here, but I know that this station is looking for someone and you might be a great fit. And it, and I, they eventually chose me and the rest is history. You're hustling right there. So you have your, your highlight reel of you just basically being on camera, talking, doing your thing, and you're just passing it out to people that could possibly be potential employers. I mean, that's like getting after it in terms of figuring out, you know, finding a job. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I had on my demo reel at the time, American Idol was huge. Um, and Canada had just launched Canadian Idol. 
So I did this really fun segment where we went to the mall and we were interviewing people who were auditioning for Canadian Idol and just kind of being fun and quirky and silly with it. And, and um, I think it was that and then some a mix of some serious news stories uh, that they thought, oh, she can, she can do news, but she can also have fun in front of the camera and uh, be someone that people are going to enjoy watching no matter what kind of scenario she's in. Do you think you're a natural in front of the camera or do you think that you had to work at it? Were you uncomfortable at first when you first got into this? Yeah, well, when I was uh, when I was first in broadcasting school, I was intimidated because I was the youngest one. Um, everyone else in the program was 25 to 40. Uh, so that in itself, like I had to kind of learn to put myself out there and um, not to be too worried about my age. And then I, it was a learning experience. I, there's a part of me that really wishes that I had grown up 10 years later when, uh, millennials now have the internet and everyone has a platform. Everyone has the opportunity to do YouTube and put themselves in front of a camera and, and do really well. Um, so I learned the old fashioned way, which is with a cameraman in the woods. <laughs> like. <laughs> with a microphone interviewing people on the street and, and attending events and, and coming up with um, different uh, daily productions to to package and, and put on TV the old-fashioned way. I mean, you have such like a like a bubbly personality and like big old smile and passion. I feel like you, you're you very good at, you know, getting people to open up and just be real about themselves. I One of my biggest passions in life is actually talking to other people about themselves. I've, I've never really been the type of person who wants to talk about my own passions and interests and goals because I'm always so much more intrigued in what other people are doing and what's driving them and getting them excited. Um, so it's I think it was just a natural fit for me to be in front of the camera and interviewing people about some of the biggest moments in their lives and helping them to get their initiatives and dreams out to the world. So I always really love that. When you watch the documentary, you do such a good job at telling the stories through the four people that took the challenge with you's eyes and making it all about their journey, which, you know, is, is it makes it so captivating because they're such different personalities and you did such a good job showing the different stories with that. So did you have a, like a broadcast guy or videographer guy that you worked with that was just down to help you with this? Or like <laughs> what goes into creating a documentary? So with the documentary, I shot about 90% of it myself, maybe even more. Um, so when I'm on camera, I had a videographer from the station help me with that. I think I, there was two or three different people that I used at certain points. Um, but for the most part, I was behind the camera doing all the shooting. And the uh, same with the editing. I did about 90% of the editing. And then I had one of our really talented editors in-house in the station just kind of polish things through once I had gone through it all. What editing program do you use? I was trained on Final Cut Pro, and um, now I'm using Adobe Premiere Pro. I love editing myself. I use Adobe Premiere Pro as well. I still try to figure out that transition when one thing zooms out and zooms into the other. I'm trying to figure that one out. I can't <laughs> figure it out. Well, that's the beauty of editing is it's such an art even if you dedicate your life to it, like there's always some new animation to learn or some new um, 
some new graphic to incorporate or the the just how beautiful people's YouTube videos are nowadays like they're all individual pieces of art that you put out into the world and it's not just about great editing and great segues but you're in front of the camera and there's audio and there's lighting and then there's the graphic side of things so I have so much respect for the people who put out stuff on a consistent daily basis and uh, it's it's really cool to be living in a world where we're looking at so much art all the time but video art which is my favorite kind of art I love how you, you call it art there was two guys on our podcast earlier, the Throttle guys. I believe it was episode seven or six or seven, and they do daily videos every single day, Monday through Friday, um, on like building cars and showing the car lifestyle. And they just talked about what it takes in order to get into the ability to be able to produce a video every single day because that seems so overwhelming, right? It's, like just like I guess that's what news reporters we did, um, but now some people are doing it full time and they're making it a full time job even without that background. Where I went to school professionally for it, and now today you can learn anything you want to learn online through a YouTube tutorial, which makes it so accessible uh, for anyone to um, to really take this platform and able to showcase their work and their niche markets and their passions to whole new audiences that they would have never been able to access before. You just hit it on the head there. Anybody at any time can go on YouTube and learn anything they want. <laughs> and so I'm curious, where did I like it raw, which is an aggressive and awesome tagline? Where did that come from? So uh, the name I like it raw, I wanted to do something that was obviously I had raw food in the name, but was sexy and suggestive. Uh, all of these different uh, vegan brands out there are like Green Leaf, Fresh, Glow, um, which are great names, but I wanted to do something that would stand out from all of these others and kind of take a, a, a sexier approach because to me, when you eat well and you treat your body well and you exercise, you're, you're trying to look sexy. Like, <laughs> you and, and uh, eating superfoods will make you super sexy. So I thought, I, I like it raw is funny, it's catchy, it's uh, very memorable, and it's different. So, and it kind of reflects my personality. <laughs> like I'm kind of funny and different and uh, sexy and memorable. So <laughs> reflection about me. <laughs> That's great, yeah. No, you said, I, I, one thing you said that's great is the name of your show of your product, it should reflect, you know, a piece of you because you're, you're going to listen to it and hear it so many times that it should make you smile every single morning. It's funny when I have to make business calls and they ask what my website is and <laughs> I always like laugh to myself. But again, that's what I went with and at no point did I ever think about changing it. You weren't always into this lifestyle. Like what was your journey into this world of veganism and then raw veganism? I live in Canada where winters are very long and cold. And what Canadians do for about six months of the year, more so than uh, Americans, at least in the southern part of the US, watch a lot of movies. <laughs> and I became obsessed with health documentaries and just reading into health information. And I think it started with the China study and then snowballed from there. 
Um, so I, beca I became really well educated on the impact that meat and dairy and processed foods and GMO foods and non-organic foods uh, have on your body, sugar especially too. And to this day, I still, like, I was raised on cookies and candy and peanut butter and jam sandwiches and sugary orange juice and fruit snacks and granola bars. So, like, I had no idea how addicted I was to, sh to sugar until I tried to stop eating it. <laughs> and then you realize that it's in everything. And, um... Through a slow progression of trial and error and, again, just educating myself and uh, reading as much as I could, I believed that the best way to eat food was in its most natural, organic, whole form. Um, and, I, and kind of coming to that conclusion, I started reading more and more about raw food, and I thought, this is so cool. I want other people to know about this and maybe it would inspire people to try a healthier lifestyle. There is no raw vegan scene really in the area of the world that I'm living in and I think this could be a really cool documentary. That is so cool. You, you found a passion that you're stoked about and you're turning it into a business, which is yeah. incredible. Vegans in general, they're a very passionate bunch and I'm starting to kind of understand why the more I look into it. You know, there are just unmistakable health benefits of it. And I also believe our generation, especially millennials, are very like woke to the idea that they like being healthy. They want to be healthy. I was like you. I was born on French bread pizza, yeah. um, cinnamon buns, cereal 24-7, super high sugar like loads. Oh, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm slowly trying to learn into it. But I get overwhelmed. I'm not going to lie. There's... There's so much content out there and the nutrition world is so hard to navigate. Like Yeah, and I th there's a lot of noise in the world that we live in now. And no matter what you believe, whether it's food related or lifestyle related or religious beliefs, you're going to find something that reaffirms your beliefs and contradicts your beliefs on every different turn. So it it's, I think... With personally with with diet, um, I know what works best for me, and I try to stay on that track as much as possible. And when new information comes along, or there's a new article, I always take everything with a grain of salt, and try and become as informed as possible, rather than just believing um, that there's a new uh, superfood to save us all every first Monday of the month. <laughs> can we step back and just kind of, can you tell the difference for anyone that doesn't understand, um, which I know a lot of people don't. What is the difference between say a vegan and a raw vegan diet? The biggest difference between vegan and raw vegan is that in a raw vegan diet, you don't cook your food. <laughs> so you're still eating fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes and sprouted um, beans. And you have a very high nutrition value for everything you eat. There's a lot of science saying that certain foods like tomatoes, for instance, are healthier for you when they are cooked. Also, trying to eat something like a potato or a yam or a beet is way less appetizing when it's raw. However, there are food preparation styles to be able to 
Um, still serve these foods raw uh, that taste amazing and um, don't have that crunchy, over-the-top crunch factor to it that you would expect if you're eating a, a raw beef. Uh, but a lot of vegan foods that you would buy at the grocery store that aren't specifically from the, um, the produce aisle are still packaged, there's still preservatives in them, there's still a lot of extra ingredients so that they can live on that shelf in a plastic bag or in a cardboard box for months at a time or years at a time. So the biggest factor is that with raw food, you want to eat the cleanest, healthiest, most organic version of the food possible and eat it as soon as it's picked from the ground. And juicing. So juicing is a big uh, thing. Do you do, ju do you juice daily? And like, what's your juicing resume look like? <laughs> and then one step further, how do I juice at home without like, you know, spend it? Like, what's the most efficient way to do that? Yeah, um, there are a couple great juiceries in Winnipeg, um, but they're expensive. And uh, when I moved in with my boyfriend, he got on the juicing bandwagon with me and we started doing huge huge batches once a week and then freezing them in glass jars. So that's become the most cost-effective and time-effective way to juice for us is making huge batches of juice and then individually jarring them and then taking out those jars throughout the week so that we can drink um, juice that's been freshly made and then frozen uh, and locking in that freshness and all those nutrients without doing it every single day, which becomes so much work. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm a very healthy guy, I think so. I mean, my typical diet, you know, previously to this new adventure is, is mostly like, you know, brown rice, quinoa, sweet potatoes as my carbs, you know, healthy veggies, legumes, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, and then like, chicken or, or ground turkey, etc. And I'm slowly trying to wean over to, you know, this this lifestyle, but I don't understand the meal prep portion of it. Cause with juicing, if you don't drink that juice like that day when it's cut, does it does it lose a lot of its nutritional value? Um it oxidizes. So it it's still gonna be really great for you, but it's it does lose its nutritional value if it's I think the shelf life for most juices is about three days. And after that, it's going to separate and maybe get chunky. Get a little gnarly. And when you have to give it a really good shake and you're looking at it and you're curious if it's worthy of still drinking or not, that's <laughs> why it's time to chuck it down the drain. So freezing works though? It like maintains it? Yeah, freezing works really, really well. But then for the most part, uh, I eat huge, gigantic salads and um, salads with every color, flavor, texture that you can imagine, lots of seeds and nuts and creamy dressings, lots of like good fats from the nuts and the avocado and um, a mixture of different styles of chopped vegetables, sometimes with fruits. I love huge fruit smoothies too, um, with like frozen, fresh, fro fresh frozen, blueberries, strawberries, mangoes, pineapple, with big handfuls of nuts or almond butter and some coconut, um, dates, and then any other seeds that you want to put in there. I think it's like, you're just happy and it's so delicious too. And I think that's what people might be scared of at first is it could be a type of food that 
um, for them it's very intimidating thinking about raw food when it's so simple and so delicious uh, and it's really really easy to make too. Half the time you just need a blender or a food processor and a knife and that's it. Uh, on the subject of foods that excite you, uh, what are like some superfoods that you think out of all the research you've ever done are like the top three foods that if somebody wasn't a vegan or a raw vegan, just doing whatever, that they should at least consume these three foods because you've seen the best improvements on your life and just based on the studies you've you've studied? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my three most favorite exotic superfoods are camu camu, which is a really, really tart red berry. Um, they look like a little, like a cross between a cherry and a tiny apple. Um, and they're super, super sour and they're the most uh, potent vitamin C superfoods in the entire world. Uh, you can get them in several different places. I found them in Peru when I was traveling through Peru at this market in Huacachina, Peru, and I was so excited. There's a video on my YouTube channel, and I found as well as that Camu Camu and Lucama, which not too many people have heard of Lucama unless you are really already ingrained in the superfood world. Um, it looks kind of like an avocado from the outside, but a light green skin. And then you slice it in half and it's bright, bright yellow with a big black seed and it tastes like custard. And it is the most delicious thing I have ever tried. It's so good. And I've only been able to find Lucuma powder at superfood stores in North America. But if you ever get your hands on the real thing, like stock up because it is so good. Do you uh, order a lot of food online at all? Powdered versions, so like Lucuma powder or Camu Camu powder or Ashwagandha powder. Um, and I would get my uh, smoothies would become very pasty from all the powder, extra powdered ingredients that I was putting in them as well. Uh, but right, right now I try to buy as much uh, produce as possible from the local grocery stores in the organic section and then as much frozen organic as possible the the biggest deterrent a lot of times for people getting those organic produce is costs associated with it you know you could get the uh the gmo packed uh extra extra load of pesticides for one fourth the price of you know the the organic but it's like you know when you look into it more and the more you study and this is at least for me it's like you know, when you're buying that food, it's like you're buying, you know, a healthcare plan. You mm -hmm. know, if you're spending $300 a month on healthcare, it's like you could almost take that away if you can just eat healthy and, and start. And that's what I'm really, you know, diving into and, and understanding more. But I've also found that cooking in my short time of doing this has gotten quicker because I'm not cooking all the time. And because I'm not cooking, it's like I'm speeding up the process. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm such a salad addict. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted to start I Like It Raw at the restaurant because I've been traveling all around the world and there are so many incredible raw vegan and vegan restaurants in Bali and Peru and Spain, Barcelona and Thailand, in Australia, in California. Um, and back when I was living in Vancouver in BC as well, but in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where I was born, um, actually in a small town just outside Winnipeg, but I was born here and there are no raw vegan restaurants at all, zero in the entire city. And there's 
two vegan restaurants, but they're not fast food and they're very limited. And one caters more to unhealthy, very processed vegan foods. So I thought if I'm going to um, open this restaurant and, and really show people how amazing raw vegan food is, I'm going to do it in a place that I'm familiar with, where I know the people are just so fantastic and supportive, and where they currently have no other raw vegan options at all. So that's why I'm doing this in Winnipeg. And we talked off uh, offline, and your plans are very ambitious. I mean, you want to... Yeah massive expansion making this you know the the flagship product and i 100 percent believe you can do it what goes into opening first of all have you ever been in the restaurant industry yeah so i have 10 years of restaurant industry experience um and have kind of worked in every different facet uh, but have never opened a restaurant. So I have um, a lot of friends in business who've been giving me a lot of guidance through this process. I started my business plan six months ago. I have um, different grants and financing plans and loan applications. Uh, but I thought before I even go that route at all, I want to see if the city the people here who are going to be my customers who will be hopefully benefiting from this restaurant and incorporating it into their lives and their community and supporting it, uh, love the idea first. So that's why I wanted to do the Kickstarter um, and see like, is this an idea that the people here are going to love? And, and I really hope they do because I, I think it will be fantastic for the entire city. And your Kickstarter launches soon. Yeah, it's... Um, Thursday, November 1st, which is also World Vegan Day. Phenomenal. Yeah. What, what What are the biggest challenges after all the research you've done that go into opening up a restaurant specifically in this category? The biggest challenges with opening a restaurant are startup costs. It is very, very expensive to open a restaurant. Um, you have to not only just think about the food costs of each individual dish, but you are creating a brand new brand. So all of the design aspects, the leasing, uh, hiring and training new employees, getting your branding out there, um, and then legal fees, accounting fees, bookkeeper fees, um, the POS systems, how people are going to be ordering the food, the website, and then making sure, of course, number one, the food is just so good that Everyone was going to want to be eating it every single day, ordering it all the time, telling their friends, their family about it, and falling in love with a new style of healthy fast food. So like, are you doing partnerships with local restaurants to get the best of the best organic? Right now, I have a wholesaler uh, that we'll be using for all of our organic produce and all of our produce, and uh, quality is number one. So that's been a huge learning curve and one of the most exciting parts as well. And then on top of that, I guess that something I haven't really announced too much yet, but I also got um, funded for a vegan documentary series as well. So while I'm watching this restaurant, I'm going to be um, producing and shooting shows with different vegan restaurants and businesses in the area, um, talking about their vegan dishes because a lot of restaurants will have one or two dishes on their menu and that's it so the inspiration behind that as well as the trends towards more and more vegan food and the backstory of me opening this restaurant as well so you're basically able to 
maintain doing what you love, which is you, you love this whole world of hosting shows and being on camera. But at the same time, you're getting a straight wide eye look into some of the best recipes and methods of preparation. Like I see you. Well done. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that in this journey, I'm still fusing my passions of food and storytelling and people and I'm hoping to just inspire and feed at the same time. Do you find that the raw vegan community is very open about sharing, you know, all their recipes and what they do or? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think no matter what you want to make, whether it's a vegan burger or a deep and delicious brownie or, um, or you want to reinvent the wheel and create a raw vegan bacon and eggs, you can do that very easily just by doing a quick Google search and someone out there is sharing that recipe, that idea. And I don't think there's any food that I can think of that you couldn't make a raw vegan version with a little bit of experimentation and intrigue and some creative ideas in the kitchen. All of that sounds amazing. Like everything you're talking about is is. Cr- awesome and it's definitely if you're listening to this like that's got to get you fired up i mean and dana's out there starting her own business she's getting into it uh it's gonna be you know technically not your first business because you have this online program you work with etc we'll jump into that in a second but you know do you ever get overwhelmed oh my gosh yes and i think that's um i think that's part of the natural process of entrepreneurship is uh, you, your business is your baby and sometimes you have good days and sometimes you have days where you're a little overwhelmed and uh, that's very natural and it's part of the fun and the excitement because you're raising your baby and you're putting so much heart and soul and energy and enthusiasm and passion into this project um, that you it's like trying to do a marathon, but before you can run four hours straight, you need to concentrate on getting to the end of the next block and then the block after that and then the next mile. And you have to kind of chew things off in smaller chunks versus getting overwhelmed by the long-term plan or the long-term goals that there's stepping stones before you get to the big jumps. So to circle back on the documentary, did you have immediate success with viewers on that or did you have to promote it in order to start kind of getting it, getting it launched? Um, I did a lot of promotion uh, and that was a lot of radio and TV interviews and um, some newspaper interviews as well and some blogging. Uh, and I love it. Like I do from working in television for 10 years and being always being the other person on the other side of the camera, talking to the really passionate, excited person about their big project. It was fun to be the person with the big project for once who was um, just overjoyed with being able to share, uh, releasing something into the public. I love how you said that because (laughs) it's like, it's one thing, you know, when you're working for a company and, you know, there's this whole thing that you hear sometimes, you know, are you building someone else's dream or are you building your own? So out of all of the different forms of advertisement that you, that you did all the different talk shows and and forms, was there a specific one that really kind of launched it? Or is there a certain um, direction you could point someone to if they're trying to promote their documentary, where to go? Access as many streams and platforms and networks as you can get your fingers into. There, I wish there was a 
a, a one-click, one type of payment PR promotion formula that just worked, but there is thousands of TV shows, millions of movies, even more YouTube stories and videos being uploaded every second that, that you got to make yourself special. You got to do something, even when you put your heart and soul into a project, it's not, it, that project, getting it out there is not about you. It's not about you. It's appealing to other people and giving them something that will benefit them. So whether it is watching a video that's going to inspire them or that hits really close to home. Maybe they have a loved one who is affected by um, cardiovascular disease or obesity or cancer. You want to be able to give, give your project to people and it is a gift that they want to receive. So just because you think something's amazing um, doesn't mean other people are going to make it think it's amazing. Uh, so you got to work really hard on just taking yourself out of the equation and wanting to um, release your project into the world in a way that's going to benefit other people. Yeah. One of my uh, friends, Nadia, says, you know, you're being selfish by not putting out content to video content to help, you know, share your ideas because the most, the biggest reason, number one reason people don't do such a thing is they're always thinking they're being judged. Yeah. Like people are like, what are they going to say to me? Like, I'm going to look like an idiot. Like, oh my God, me, 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 me. Um, but in reality, most people are thinking about themselves Yeah. and it's like going out there with a good purpose, just like you said, and able to truly trying to impact and help someone relate with them. It can have a huge effect in our digital age. Yeah. Um, it, you, it's, it's a really tough question because um, you don't want to get stuck in analysis paralysis, but you also uh, need to live in the real world and understand that whatever you put out there shouldn't just be about you for you because no one else is going to care. We all have busy lives. We all have day-to-day -day concerns and things on our mind and importances and goals and dreams and aspirations, why am I going to care what this person's doing unless it affects me? So I think that's a big, really big thing for creators to think about is when you're creating something, how is it going to appeal to other people? Is it just for you? And then, yeah, go ahead, make yourself some art, hang it in your own room and stare at it forever if you want. But if you want other people to appreciate it and love it and share it, then it's not got to be all about you. It's got to be about other people and, and hopefully making a positive impact that will inspire others. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk about the I Like It Raw website sure. and the I Like It Raw program. Sure. So your website's gorgeous. Great job on it. I had help, <laughs> but I created all the content, uh, but I definitely had help with the website. Did you first start a website like yourself? You try to DIY it? I did not. I had, back in the day, I had put in a lot of time and energy into my MySpace page. <laughs> uh, so I had learned some simple coding, and but forgotten all of it. Um, so I just was so busy with creating the recipes and all of the content for the program that I didn't want to take on the headache of website design at the same time. Um, now, in retrospect, I, I would probably do it myself and use a program like Wix, which is awesome, or Foursquare, 
or there's all these incredibly easy design website programs now that do take like a week or two to make your website, but you can do it and then you're always in control. But this website I had help with from a website designer. But I think that a lot of times, like instead of trying to do everything yourself, you know, you run into that thing of doing everything average versus outsourcing that to someone who's clearly very talented. 100%. But as an entrepreneur, you have to do as much yourself as possible because um, if, you, if you're not coming with a huge buttload of money, uh, then you have to learn how to do all of these things yourself for the first time and then grow and then be able to um, expand your business and to outsource as you start to grow. But in the beginning, you're doing a lot yourself. Yeah. And it's like the restaurant, like you've managed every aspect of your restaurant in the past 10 years. And until you can kind of get there and try it yourself, you can't really teach or even understand how to coach unless you have a, you know, a foundation yeah. of each aspect of that. Yeah. I, I've always known that I've wanted to, to be an entrepreneur working in television um, and, and producing the, the show. I was working with tons of videographers and editors and different producers and I really love team management and I loved working with a big group of people and being able to guide the ship and and help everyone come together every single day towards a common goal and I think that's a, a really fun way to live your life not only gives your life meaning and gives you a great support circle of people around you but it's just so much fun when you love your job and you love what you do and the people around you and you're all like kicking ass together every single day and getting excited about coming to work and you know willing to put in as many hours as possible just because you don't want to go home anyways you so I've, I've been so fortunate to always love what I do yeah and your passion just speaks through the mic it's it's wonderful but creating a program a, a lot goes into that um and I'm sure it wasn't that easy, uh, but being able to experience, build a business that you can create residual income off of is one of the most amazing uh, aspects of the digital age we live in. And yes, it it, you're really a cool example. Like I was just, um, I think, episode 10 with this uh, woman named Tanya Eliza. She's a seven figure internet marketer. She sells all sorts of courses on how to brand yourself, how to build your website customized how to do all these things. And, you know, she's created a residual income stream with 18 different forms of affiliate income coming in. And it's amazing because when I look at what you're doing is you're just taking something you like, putting it online, selling a program that you poured into, and now people can order that on a residual basis. So you're making money while you sleep. It's auto generating. People are watching your videos. When people watch your videos, they watch the documentary. When they watch the documentary, it feeds into your website. When it feeds into your website, the funnel goes down to ordering your program. And like, can you talk about like maybe how life changing that is and also the biggest challenges to convert people from just checking out the documentary into actually buying your program? I think for anyone who aspires to do something similar, my biggest piece of advice is you're going to be looking at about six months to a year of work behind the scenes before you can think about launching. So before you can think about promoting and, um, and turning your business into an actual money-making machine, you have to create a product that is going to have shelf life. 
is going to be something that is needed and that your comp you've really analyzed the competition and know that you're not the 19th player to the table and that you're offering something new um, and in a way that uh, doesn't already exist before. And that in itself is really tough to do nowadays. Like there are a billion and one different diet programs. There are a billion and one different fitness coaches and business coaches and um, authors and filmmakers online nowadays. The list goes on and on. So when you're trying to come up with an online-based business, really take the time to research and, and come to the conclusion of what has been done, what hasn't been done, and what will set you apart from everyone else. So I think for me, the documentary was the obvious launching point, um, which gave me the credentials and the credibility to launch the diet program. I think everyone should do that as like a course in college. Create a documentary? No, no. Launch a, launch a program, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's, it's, yeah. it's like such a accomplishable thing for anyone that's listening. If you like rollerblading, you can somehow yeah. create a tutorial program on how yeah, to rollerblade. You, yeah, you could create your own niche market website, uh, paid monthly subscription services. I don't know what you would sell. Maybe like a different colored wheel every single month or like pom-poms that <laughs> The rollerbladers are going to advertise that. Right. The rollerblading is not big in Winnipeg because we've got really cold winters. and So the season is short. But for example, or snowshoeing, <laughs> come up with a niche market snowshoeing company. Nice. Snowshoeing. <laughs> exactly. So out of all of the social media platforms you've experienced, uh, you know, it seems like you use YouTube, Instagram a lot. Um, which, mm-hmm. which one is your favorite and which one do you think is mm. moves the needle most towards online sales of your program? That's a great question. Um, YouTube is where my documentary lives and where a lot of my adventure vlogging videos live. Um, Facebook, you can really create and find communities where Instagram is not necessarily a community feel. It's a very superficial, transparent, (laughs) quick, (laughs) in and out kind of uh, interaction, which... uh, I'll leave that joke sitting there. But um, Facebook, I find, is where people really, if you can find groups, like vegan groups, raw vegan groups, restaurant groups, plant-based, eating health, wellness, diet, etc., there are people who are really invested in these groups because it's their online community. You don't have to go to a local community hall every Thursday of the month to awkwardly make conversation with a bunch of strangers. Today, you can even more authentically meet strangers with a similar passion and interest and communicate immediately with no awkward human interaction involved. And it's very authentic and very warm and comforting and and genuine feeling. So I like that aspect of Facebook. And then with LinkedIn now, I um, I love LinkedIn as well, but for different reasons, because I can network with CEOs and business execs and professionals and entrepreneurs from everywhere in the world that you can find and, and like give them your baby and they'll be like, okay, well, your baby needs a haircut and we're going to give your baby some new jeans and we're going to, we're going to put your baby in this special program and they'll be able to get rid of that lisp and these corrective shoes will help them walk better and you're gonna your baby's gonna be so much better but 
here's how we can help your baby be even cuter than they already are. I love so. that reference. And the fact is, is you're going out and seeking advice from mentors, yes. yeah. which it's a lot 100%. easier because there are people that have done it already. Rule number one, do what someone has already done. Get what they get, you know, <laughs> do the results. It's don't reinvent the wheel. It's there's a there's a process and clearly you found it. Yeah. And the, uh, one of the the best things about LinkedIn is if you go to someone who's an expert in their field, whether it's food related or not, for me, I'm looking for entrepreneurs who have ground out their work, who they've put in their early mornings to late nights, they've done their business plans, got investors, put their baby out into the world and had it rejected 10 times and had to remake their baby and give it makeover after makeover before it finally became accepted by the world and um, they are now willing and excited to share this information with someone who really respects and admires what they've been through and wants to learn from them. What would you say to someone that's currently working, say a nine to five, maybe in a field that they love or in a field that they hate? Maybe they're stuck just, you know, in a, in a comfort level where they're making good money, they have a good lifestyle. But there's something about that, you know, they have a passion that they're super excited about, but they just aren't taking the jump to go start their own business, become their own boss, turn that into reality. What would you say to that person that's just on the cusp of, of potentially diving into the field of entrepreneurship? Go all in. And what I mean by go all in is hang up your party shoes, tell your friends you're checking out for the next six months. Get rid of your Netflix. If you have to, if you really need to get rid of the temptation, even short term, delete your social media accounts and do nothing but dedicate your heart and soul into your business. And not there's going to be moments of struggle where you're like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. But there is going to be way more exciting moments of, my God, I love this. I'm so excited. The future looks so great. I'm really proud of what I'm doing and I'm willing to make those sacrifices to short-term pain, long-term gain. And if you continue to only put in a couple hours a week, well, it's going to take you 10 times longer. If you dedicate hours a day and really focus and, and drive yourself towards your goal and set goals that you want to achieve and then work towards achieving them, there's so much satisfaction you get from checking those things off of your to-do list or deleting them out of your phone and ending a day feeling like so badass that you were able to work so hard towards something you really, really want and you are proud of yourself first and foremost, even behind the scenes when no one else knows that you're working that hard. Amazing. And, and Dana, how can people see your video, uh, your, your upcoming Kickstarter video? Okay, so my Kickstarter video again. Uh, the campaign launches this Thursday, November 1st, 2018, which is also World Vegan Day. Uh, I was going back and forth for a long time on the date to launch, but I thought this is a great, great day to launch this campaign. It makes perfect sense. Um, and they can find the Kickstarter video by either going to my Instagram account. I'm going to have a link in my bio. So they can click on that. They can also just go to Kickstarter and search I Like It Raw. They can go to my Facebook page, uh, The Raw Mermaid. They can find it there. They can Google it. I Like It Raw. I'm going to give you a link. <laughs> <laughs>
We'll make it very easy for people to find the page. Absolutely. Hashtag I like it raw. Dana. She's she's <laughs> yeah. she's making moves, people. All right. Dana, thank you so much for hopping on. I can't wait to put this out. I know you've just impacted so many people and it continues to every day. So you're such a light and you're such a happy human. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you for inviting me on your show. I had a blast. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.